Hey, I'm Caressa. Hey, I'm Maddie. You're not watching the Disney Channel right now. You're listening to Dreadfully, Dreadfully Twisted. Twisted. everybody hello we are back we're back like Woo. we said we're just a day late but <laughs> <Yeah>. it's good because <laughs> i'm gonna upload this tonight okay uh earliest try so i might not edit it yeah just fair warning <laughs> good cat <laughs> <laughs> if you hear anything it's not being taken out yeah if you hear anything it's the kittens <laughs> <laughs> i want to upload it before i go to bed so i'm just like i'm just gonna add the music and then just be like bink but um yeah so how was your week it was good how was was yours it was good it was just it felt so long it yeah it really (laughs) did it's also finally february i feel like january took like literally 10 years to be over yeah and i'm just like (laughs) every other month flies and then there's january taking its full time like it's the weather it keeps being cold and then warm and then cold and then warm just pick one degree like pick, pick, <laughs> pick either, one degree pick, pick either warm or cold <laughs> exactly because i don't like like today i had my windows open but yeah i was doing stuff now so we need to like let the stagnant air out today because it was bad yeah but um i guess enough about that <laughs> so this this is part two of like the Steven Stainer story, even though today we're not going to be talking about Steven Stainer, we're going to be talking about Carrie Stainer. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> I, I did not realize how crazy this was until doing my research because I did like literally like ten plus hours of research on this because there's just so much to it. <laughs> so in part one, I mentioned Carrie Stainer, who is Steven Stainer's older brother. And how there is more to tell about him. So here we go. Buckle in. And like I said, this gets very insane and very unbelievable. Um, it, like, I have, like, no words for some of the things that he has done or said. Because it's insane. I, like, kind of know it's coming, but I don't know the full extent, so I'm nervous. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know, like, the gist of it, but I don't know, like, what will happen. Oh, yeah. You're going to be surprised because... I was very surprised. <laughs> so, Carrie Stainer was born on August 13th, 1961 in Merced, California. He is the first of five children. His parents are Delbert Roy Stainer and Kay Stainer. He had three sisters and a younger brother, Stephen, which I did say in part one, but I'm just reiterating it just in case anybody forgot or didn't listen to part one. Um, but when Carrie was three years old, he was diagnosed with trichotillomania, which is a disorder that involves recurrent, irresistible urges to pull out body hair. The urges involve pulling out hair from the scalp, eyebrows, and other areas of the body. There are other, there are other. Wow. Okay. Yeah. If I miss miss talk today, I'm sorry. <laughs> Talking is hard. Talking is hard, <laughs> and I'm not editing it. So, <laughs> so deal. Yeah. Just deal with it because this is just me. <laughs> There are many causes for this, but it is related to stress, pressure, and trauma. However, since he was diagnosed at three, is it is unknown what co- could have been the cause of this, but this is a form of, like, self-harm. So, it, it's just kind of, like, shocking that for a three-year-old to be 
displaying this behavior already shows that there was something wrong in the house but i'm not saying like that there was anything else it's just there's had been something wrong at this point because why would he be doing that Mm -hmm. um uh which this could lead to social isolation and other psychological manifestations Carrie was put on medication, although the condition. Con- <laughs> the condition. I tried to combine condition and continued. So, <laughs> the condition. The condition continued to affect him. For Carrie, he pulled hair from his head, which caused bald spots. He continued into his high school years. The bald spots made him get severely bullied in school, and which made him always wear a hat. And that's just sad because, like. That is sad. Why bully people for I that? Know. Like, don't be mean. Kids are mean. They are. They're vicious and. Um, however, this part is very shocking. Um, since the age of seven, r- remind you, age of seven, Carrie stated he would begin to fantasize about abducting, torturing, and murdering women. Oh, well then. And also keep in mind, I just want to note this was before Stephen was abducted. Oh, well then. <laughs> yeah. That's a little concerning. That's yeah. a lot of concerning. And then before he was a teenager, so after seven yeah. and before he before like he turned into a teenager, he continued to fantasize about women being, okay, trigger warning, sexual assault, so trigger warning, but he continued to fantasize about women getting gang raped. Well, that's nice. That's just wonderful. <laughs> yeah. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? He said later on that... Wait, okay, this part is... He was seven at this time whenever he said this, but he said this later on in life. He said later on that when he was in a grocery store parking lot in the car with his parents that he would think about killing and tying up the cashier. <gasps> he was really young, like seven, whenever he was would fantasize about this. Wow. Get him help. <laughs> yeah, like, but the problem is, is I don't think he said anything. Yeah. So, because this know. all didn't come out until later. I'm just going over this now because. Yeah. But it didn't come out till later mm-hmm. after everything happened. But I, whenever I was like researching this, I was like, oh my God, what? Like, I know. I didn't realize it was this, this yeah. far. Like, wow. Like, it's even crazier. But, um,. Carrie also <laughs> claimed another sexual assault trigger warning. Carrie had claimed that whenever he was 11, his uncle would molest him. Um, his uncle did get sentenced for this eventually, though. Um, yeah. Later in his teenage years, he just he started displaying odd behaviors with women. Out of nowhere, he exposed himself to one of his sister's friends that was staying over. Oh. Yeah, and then people said that he was not like this before Stephen's kidnapping. However, like I said, I he started fantasizing yeah. about this before Stephen yeah. was abducted, so you can't blame it on exactly, that. exactly. Um, and then people believe that since Stephen got abducted, it contributed to Carrie's sexual deviancy. But like I said, I don't think <laughs> that could even be related to yeah. it. Yeah, um, pretty sure he had a little bit of problems before then, but yeah. <laughs> Um, um, yeah. As he got older, he started showing more signs of him exposing himself, and it was not a one-time thing. I just burped. 
I'm not editing that out, so I'm sorry. <laughs> um, his friends would say that he's shown, this is in quotes, a compulsion to be very sexual. Get this guy help. <laughs> right? Okay. There has to I be don't... at least the sign that you've seen. Get this guy, get this boy some help, please. Yeah, and like, <laughs> a compulsion to be very sexual? What does that even yeah. mean? <laughs> like, like, he's not being normal. <laughs> definitely not. That's, um, that's concerning. And then they also said, but he was unable to show normal characters. Characteristic. Oh my god. <laughs> Char- characteristics with women and he would sexually harass women and just be a creep of course (laughs) yeah so now we get into the timeline of when steven got abducted um if you don't remember in part one steven was abducted by a guy named um, kenneth parnell and he was abducted in 1972 whenever he was walking home from school he kenneth Parnell had somebody else come up to him asking if his mom would want to do church donations. And then um, Stephen was like, yeah, she probably would. And then they offered to take him home, but they didn't take him home. They ended up taking him and Stephen was gone for seven years. And then he finally returned back. Never. Kenneth Parnell was abducting another little boy. He brought him home. His name was Timothy Plate. And then Stephen didn't want Timothy to go through what he went through. So then he escaped with Timothy that night. And then took him to the police station. Never, like, he came back home. They um, made a statue. Yeah, they like, made no. a statue of him. <laughs> uh, Carrie was 11 when Stephen was abducted. So, like I said earlier, the seven-year-old, like, being a seven-year-old and imagining that stuff, it, it's before this. Yeah. So, um, the impact it made on everyone, including Carrie, was catastrophic. Delbert, Carrie's father, was distraught after the abduction. He would blame Carrie for not looking after his brother and would say, oh, yes, the one son I really loved. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like, you shouldn't say that to, like, I understand you're grieving. Yeah. But you shouldn't say that to your other son. No. Who's probably also grieving. (laughs) Like. A little messed up. (laughs) Yeah. Um. So, to carry the ages between 11 and 18 when Stephen was missing was lived in the shadow of his brother. Carrie would talk about how it affected him, how he felt neglected while his parents grieved over Stephen. He then received the responsibility of having to watch his sisters, like, monitor them and make sure they were okay at a young age. Which, this is an adult responsibility placed on him, and this, he was only 11. So, that's not, like, right to put that on the older sibling. Yeah. To watch... Like, I don't know. <laughs> like, I get it, but I don't get it. <laughs> um, Carrie became an artist in high school due to his cartoon contribu- contributions to the school newspaper. He was voted most creative student in his graduating class at 18 in Merced High School. His teachers and classmates said he was really intelligent. One of the triggers... Oh, that scared me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like... I guess they were okay getting... Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Where were we? Um, I don't remember what the last thing I said Mm -hmm. was. 
Um, okay, so Carrie became an artist in high school due to his cartoon contributions to the school newspaper. He was voted most creative student in his graduating class at 18 in Merced High School. His teachers and classmates said he was really intelligent. One of the triggers to his killing spree later on, spoiler alert, there's murder. <laughs> I think I already said that, but... Um, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> was the return of his brother Stephen in 1980. Harry was 18 at, the, at this time. Stephen became a hero because he was able to escape and rescue Timothy White, which is also became a huge movie and a book. The whole U.S. was cast cast, cast captivated by Stephen's story. Carrie was home through all of this. He saw how his parents were sad when Stephen was taken. Then he saw the complete change when Stephen returned. They were so elated all of a sudden after Stephen returned. He essentially watched his brother get all of the attention, which affected him. Carrie said, I felt like my parents there clearly was a number one son in the house, and it was Stephen, and so I was pushed aside and left to fend for myself. There is a video of Stephen with his with his family in the same house. Everyone was smiling, and there's cameras everywhere. But this this is scary. Like this is this is kind of like, um, yeah. But in the back of the video, Carrie is just standing there with a hat on and no smile on his face, just staring. Well, that's unsettling. Yeah, very unsettling. Yeah. Stephen appeared on Good Morning America with his parents. It increased Carrie's rage and jealousy. Delbert is seen hugging Stephen, and that is something he never did with Carrie. He never showed any emotional affection or any affection towards Carrie. So Carrie was jealous over that because he was like, why is he getting any attention? Which, I mean, it's understandable because they lost their son for yeah. seven years. But Carrie was also known as the brother. He was also only known as the brother of the boy who went missing. Stephen's return only shown Carrie, at least this is his viewpoint, that he was just a shadow in the family. And then nine years later, September 17th, 1989, Stephen was killed and at a hit-and-run accident on his motorcycle, and he died on the scene. This sparked another descent into Carrie's dark side. In 1990, his uncle was killed, and Carrie and him shared a house together. Some people believe that maybe Carrie had something to do with it because of the claims of his uncle molesting him. However, no one was charged for the murder of his uncle. They believe at the time he was just killed by a drifter who was in the area. No one ever was identified or convicted of the crime. Carrie was questioned about it and was subs- suspected of it, but he said he had nothing to do with it. In 1991, Carrie was working at, a, at Merced Glass and Mirror Company. He was liked by his coworkers. Everyone said he was friendly and approachable and that you could trust him. This is the crazy part. They said that you could trust him to leave your child with him, though that was just the surface. Below the surface, he was challenged and at war with himself. So they would trust him to ha- like leave their kids with him. Wow. But you'll see later why. That's insane. Yeah. And then... In 1991, um, this is a trigger warning, um, so I'm sorry. I know you get trigger warning by suicide, but um, Carrie tried to gas himself to death with carbon monoxide after, um, after like this part. That was the cat. <laughs> In 1995, his rage was at the tipping point. This is also crazy. One of his coworkers came across him pounding his fist into a plank of wood and Carrie was saying he fell 
really anxious, nervous, and scared, and that he felt like killing all of his coworkers. God, that's terrifying. He was seen by a psychiatrist, but didn't receive any further treatment. They said it looked like it was a one-off situation. Wow. Smart. Yeah. Good idea. <laughs> and then in 1995, he was also admitted to a mental institution after having this uh, nervous breakdown, but was released after receiving get like further treatment but it just wasn't enough but just saying it's a one-off yeah no his, and he what he said was he wanted to ram the truck into the workplace killing everybody there and setting the place on fire wow yeah oh we're just gonna excuse it this oh, was probably a, a one-time thing <laughs> what is wrong with you <laughs> how is that a one-time thing like why would you say you would want to kill anyone? And why would you automatically assume that it was a one-time thing? Like, what is wrong with you? Obviously, there's something wrong. But... Oh, my God. But, yeah. I literally put in my notes, uh, what? In, like, caps, <laughs> because that's not. That's not. It's never a one-off situation. That's never, like, no. That's literally how I felt learning that Norway... You can only serve 21 years yeah, no matter what the crime. I was that's like... That's crazy. I, I literally put in my notes like, oh my god, like what? Like <laughs> can't even I still can't even And we watched a video about Norway today. Like this guy, he like does like food challenges where yeah. he eats a lot of food like this. And it was in Norway and I thought of you whenever <laughs> I was watching the video. I was like, Oh yeah, I thought about that. It's Norwegian. Norwegian. <laughs> <laughs> um so after that, he became more isolated. His parents moved from Merced and was left on his own. His uncle was dead. Stephen was dead. So Carrie left the job that he had for a while and decided he wanted to go off the radar and live in the woods. In 1997, he was hired as the handyman at the Cedar Lodge in Yosemite National Park. <laughs> <laughs> the Cedar Lodge is a big hotel, 50 plus rooms. It was beautiful and at the edge of Yosemite National Park. A lot of people come and go through there, which this job came with an apartment on the top floor of the lodge. He was a hard worker, honest, fixed things, mechanical, electrical, did housekeeping, brought extra towels, bedding, etc. He ate his lunch and dinner in the hotel restaurant. He was also well known by the staff and people there. At first, everything seemed to be going well. Everyone loved him, which is kind of surprising. I mean, <laughs> and everyone said that he was the nicest guy. So it seems like he's putting on like a front, yeah. I would say. Um, he seemed to fit in with the lifestyle. During this time, he enjoyed hiking in the woods and developed... Okay, this this, this <laughs> makes me laugh. He liked hiking in the woods and developed a liking for nude sunbathing. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. I just picked up a new hobby. What is it? Nude sunbathing? <laughs> cricket. 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 <laughs> just imagine. I'm like, why would you... <laughs> <laughs> which now people suspect that he was having issues controlling his sexual desires and that nudism was a way of coping with it <laughs> he also enjoyed smoking marijuana however i do not think that has any correlation to one's fires <laughs> i personally don't think it could be a trigger or linked but that's just me and like, the video i watched they were like blaming it all on that but yeah i, I don't see it being <laughs> the reason i think there's too many underlying factors here <laughs> yeah definitely <laughs> In this time, Carrie became obsessed with Bigfoot. <laughs> okay. Which is a cryptid. Bigfoot is a legend that habits the forest of America's Pacific Northwest. 
He believed 100% that Big, Bigfoot was real and was obsessed with finding him. <laughs> but people in a video oh, I watched... Wait. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you meant... <laughs> as soon as you said that, I imagined Bigfoot was looking for him. <laughs> <laughs> yes yes Maddie <laughs> Bigfoot was looking for Carrie Stainer because he knew he was going to commit murder he knew. he knew he had to find him before the deed was done <laughs> oh that's hilarious yeah <laughs> in what world did that make sense in my head I don't even understand did I say it weird no you were like in and was intent on looking for him. And I just was thinking, like, Bigfoot was intent. And I was like, no, Carrie was intent. I love that. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Oh, that's going to be put in a clip. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Uh, but people in a video I watched said Carrie was obsessed with Bigfoot because it reminded him of himself, his dark side. And it was what he was. <laughs> or maybe Bigfoot was looking for him. I resonate with Bigfoot. <laughs> oh, yeah, you're going to have to definitely need that laugh before the next part. Ooh, okay. But by the end of 1998, he was unraveling. In February 1999, it was a slow season of the for the Lodge. There was only a few... St- few <laughs> there were only a few tourists... Um, during this this season, Carol Yvonne Carrington's son was born April twenty fifth, nineteen fifty six, in California. She she was married to Yen Sund. They had one child, Juliana Sund, and three adopted children. Carol and Yen's owned a realtor business in the Stockton Stockton area. They were also they were also wow I'm like struggling. <laughs> they were hosting a foreign exchange student from Argentina, Silvina Peloso who is a friend of their daughter, Julie's son. People close to the family describe Carol as a kind of super mom who held the family together with her nonstop energy. Carol was an active, was very active in the Council for Adoptable Children in Humboldt County, which is a charity organization that helps couples become foster or adopt children. Foster parents. That's what I meant. I put become foster or adopt children is what I wrote <laughs> in my notes, um, which is a charity organization that helps people help couples become foster parents or adopt children. Got it right that time. <laughs> Carol's older sister was mentally challenged, and after being raised, she joined her mother in founding Butler Valley Incorporated, a nonprofit group that runs two homes for the mentally challenged. Her sister lived in one of them. Carol also served on the county review board for abused and neglected kids, and after her experience, she learned that the children of broken homes get little help as they go through the legal system. So she joined the board of court appointed special advocates to help oversee the treatment in court. She sounds like a wonderful person. Yeah. And this just makes me so sad because she did so much and what she got back was not. And like, this is why this, like when researching this case, it was literally devastating to Mm -hmm. research this just because like I started crying at one point because I was like, Uh I can't even imagine like being such a great person. And then you get what you get. Yeah. It's just, it's awful. Um, she was an advocate for Tony V, a child who was locked in a cage by his family in Eureka, California. That case made headlines around the USA. I wrote USA, but I mean the United States is what I meant to say. 
<laughs> I abbreviated because typing this took forever. Yeah, because, yeah. Like I said, I did 10 hours of research and I had to like type this up and I like wrote it down like five different times. <laughs> After Carol gave birth to Juliana in 1983, she decided she didn't want to get pregnant again. Her and Jens decided to adopt. When they went to Argentina for a trip where their friends, the Pelosas, lived, they tried to adopt then. However, the Argentine government halted foreign adoptions. They wouldn't let them. So they adopted their first child. And then when his birth mother had another child, they immediately went out to San Francisco to adopt the second child. And I'm not saying names because I don't want them to. Like, you can look it up. Yeah. I don't want to say their names because I don't think I need to. Yeah. Because, I mean... You'll see why, but I just don't think mm-hmm. I do because I don't want to put them in the spotlight. Yeah. Um, Carol's friend, Aletta Tripp, said she believed that every child deserves a family and every family deserves a child. Just so sad. Aletta began adopting around the same time. <laughs> Carol just is just so amazing because this next part... She said Carol would organize potlucks and pool parties so that adopted children and parents could meet and socialize with other parents and children. Aww. Yeah. Neat. Yeah. I know. Carol's other friends have said Carol would spend hours each week volunteering at her kids' schools. When Susan Johnson went to Carol's loan brokerage office in September that year before, three months before Christmas, mind you, there were piles of Christmas gifts wrapped for her four children and Selena. Yeah. And then, so we're going to go into Juliana, Julie's son. Um, she was born September 21st, 1983 in Eureka, California. She was described as a beautiful young woman who always seemed to be smiling. Julie's interests included cheerleading, writing poetry, and playing the piano and violin. Her father, Jens, said that he always saw her as a tomboy and was surprised when she picked up cheerleading in high school. However, she only liked it for the competition anyway. She didn't really like it for anything else. Um, she, somebody said, this is a quote, she was always a f- was always full of energy and was a happy person. Uh, her friend said she was friends with Ju- Julie from playing the violin and orchestra. Julie was a spontaneous person. Julie wanted to be an architect when she was older. One of her friends said that she wanted to design her own house and she wanted it to have two stories because she never lived in a two-story house before. Um Julie joined a temporary campus group to confront issues of rape and violence because, another trigger warning, when she was a freshman, two cheerleaders from her high school were raped at knife point behind the junior high school. A 21-year-old who had done it was convicted. Her friend said she was so mad about it, she wanted to help see that it didn't happen. And that's just heartbreaking because what you hear later is just crazy, but... And then I couldn't find much about Sylvina Peloso, but Sylvina Peloso was born in 1983 in Argentina. She was an exchange student. Her parents are, I'm so sorry if I butcher these names, but Raquel Peloso and Jose Pepe Peloso, because he liked to be called Pepe instead of Jose. She left for a year in America and was staying with the sons. Sylvina had a sister, Paula. The Pelosos were friends with the sons for three decades before this. So... On February 12, 1999, Carol Sund, Julie Sund, and Sylvina Peloso were going on a trip. They stopped in Stockton where Julie had a cheerleading contest at the University of the Pacific. Then they headed to the Cedar Lodge on February 14th, where Carrie Stainer worked. They rented a 1999 Red Pontiac Grand Prix. 
They were going to stay at the Cedar Lodge for a few days. They were going to meet Jens in San, Fran- in San Francisco after seeing the Grand Canyon after Yosemite. Yosemite. It's Yosemite. <laughs> Why did I say Yosemite? It's, I knew it was Yosemite. <laughs> I am so sorry. Same difference. <laughs> yeah. Jens was unable to attend this trip, and this is heartbreaking. Like, if he was there, probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah. But I know he probably blames himself. I'm just saying, like, it's just crazy how things happen. One, like, different thing, and something can mm. be different. But Jens was unable to attend this trip because he had to prepare for an upcoming business trip. Hold on. I'm going to drink some water. Okay, I'm back. Scared. Because uh, this is getting crazy. On February 15th, they all hiked into Yosemite National Park that night. They decided to get some video videos. Get some videos from the front desk at the lodge and watch them at the room that night. They were supposed to leave the next day. However, that would be the last time they were ever seen alive again. They were the only occupants in the entire building, which Carrie Stanner knew this because he worked there. On this day, Carrie had been fantasizing about capturing and torturing two young girls. Oh my god. Another trigger warning. There's going to be more sexual assault. So, warning. Harry then knocked on their door and said he was the maintenance guy and that there was an issue in the bathroom he needed to fix. Keep in mind, at this time, it was 11 p.m. at this point. Yeah. So, Carol was very hesitant. Says, hang on a minute. Doesn't open the door. She... I had a burp. (laughs) She goes to check the bathroom and comes back and says doesn't see anything and then carrie said he has to come in and fix it and he said he would lose his job if he didn't him come and fix it. he was being very persuasive which makes carol open the door carol oh yeah i mean he was being very persuasive and i yeah. can't blame her but i would just tell him wait till tomorrow yeah like it's too late probably just kept going and going although at the same time he was a maintenance guy so maybe he just had a key anyway yeah yeah so but as soon as he got into the room he pulled out his gun which he would later tell julie was unloaded he bound and gagged the three on the room's two beds he then strangled carol in the bathroom he took her body out to the red pontiac and then returned to the room he took sylvina and julie out like into um out of like the the beds and then he began to sexually assault them including trying to get them to perform sexual acts on each other after six or seven hours that's a long time yeah he was frustrated by the girl's lack of cooperation and his own ability to maintain an erection he then took peloso into the bathroom and strangled her he put her body in the trunk with carol's yeah it gets even, even what is wrong with you yeah what is wrong with you he then began to sexually assault and abuse julie for several more hours with carrie stanner's fantasy playing out he convinced himself that he was actually in a relationship with julie and believed that she should be cherished terrifying you have to be that like you have to be real delusional what the hell yeah but it gets even crazier oh no (laughs) Before the sun came up early in the morning, he took Julie out of the lodge, put her in the Pontiac with the bodies of Carol and Savina in the trunk. He then drove east out of the park to a reservoir called Lake Don Pedro, 
which was about 90 miles from Yosemite National Park. It was very remote and a beautiful spot with a view. He then takes Julie out of the passenger seat to the vantage point and puts her down. And this is what doesn't make sense because he said that that he believed that they're in a relationship and that she should be cherished. But what he does next is crazy. He then slices Julie's throat and left her to die on the hillside. At this point, he thought to himself that he has to get rid of the car. Yeah. Cause that's, wow. That's definitely what you have to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he dumped it with the bodies of Carol and Selena still in the trunk, then called a cab to take him back to the Cedar Lodge. A taxi driver was a female. Carrie then asks her, do you believe in Bigfoot? (laughs) Oh my god. And then she said no, and he says, well, you should. (laughs) Oh my god. Carrie, your your priorities, man, are not right. No. What (laughs) is wrong with you, Carrie? He really had some problems. Yeah. When he was dropped dropped back off at the lodge, he acted like nothing happened. He went back to work and also cleaned the room. Two days went by and no one suspected anything. Carol's husband was not alerted yet because he tried to get a hold of her, but he thought she was just making her way to San Francisco. So he wasn't worried because he was like, oh, maybe she was just driving. Yeah. Um, But then Carrie was worried that he didn't cover his trail. So he returned to the car a few days later He brought gasoline and took evidence out of the car and caught it on fire. He also wanted to throw police and the FBI off by taking Carol's wallet, and he took it to Modesto, which is in the opposite direction. Carol, Julie, and Sylvina were reported missing at this point. They were supposed to meet Jens at the airport, and when they didn't show, Jens called the police because they were supposed to meet him there. Four days after the wallet was found in Modesto, California, a person picked it up the wallet and took it immediately to the police station. Authorities suspected foul play. That changed the case from the missing person's case to a criminal case. So the investigators started focusing on trying to find the car, and since it took place at the National Park, there was just so much attention from the media and from the whole entire United States, because um, Yosemite National Park is like a big park. Um, the staff at the Cedar Lodge were questioned, including Carrie Stainer, During questioning, Carrie seemed calm. However, later on, Carrie stated his heart was racing and wasn't calm on the inside. He thought for sure that the FBI would come back and arrest him. But they didn't suspect him at all. Wow. Yeah, even though he worked there. A month went by and Carol, Savina, and Julie's body... Why am I saying this weird thing? (laughs) A month went by and Carol, Savina... Carol. (laughs) Talk, Carissa, talk. (laughs) Talking is hard. A month went by. Carol, Sylvina, and Julie's bodies haven't been found yet. The investigators spent a month searching for their three girls. People skiing on mountains, helicopters, and so many methods of searching. Yosemite Park is large. They were searching for the car. So they ended up expanding their search area. And at this point, the FBI comes into play. They had more than a thousand leads. Family offered money to help find the girls. They offered two hundred fifty thousand to three hundred thousand. Carol's mom and dad went on Good Morning America to even like say like, "Hey, like bring them back. Yeah. We don't care." Like you know, the case was beginning to get cold until the car was loca- located by a local man who was hunting in the woods. 
He found the Grand Prix on March 18th. California Highway Patrol verified the license plate. They notified the FBI. Then they opened the trunk. They found Carol's son and Sylvina Peloso were found in the trunk of the car, and the car was burnt to the point their bodies were unrecognizable. They had to identify them with DNA testing. Since Carrie killed them two days later, then set the car on fire, they had the issue of the body starting to decompose and then the effects of the fire. However, a fire like that isn't effective in destroying a body. It was challenged for the forensic investigation. They couldn't, like, like, analyze them. At this time, Carrie was far from being considered prime suspect because he worked there, but there were a lot of people who worked there as well, so they just weren't thinking yeah. it was him. Instead, the local police round up a, ta- a task force. They started bringing in a bunch of suspects, drug dealers, and local armed robbers. They arrest any of these profiles within a 75-square-mile radi- like area between Modesto and Sonoma, California. They got to the point where they said they had the key players arrested and in custody. So they started telling people that they are safe. Because they thought for sure the crime like this had to be committed by a drug dealer or a criminal. Yeah. And then (laughs) it gets even crazier because Carrie starts to be helpful with the investigation. Oh, my God. He was answering the questions and showing them around the lodge. So he was trying to, like, quote, unquote, help them. Of course. Of course he was. Yeah. And then at this point, Juliana's son's body was still missing. And the next part is very shocking. Five weeks after the murders, a map showing where Julie's body was arrived at the FBI's office in Modesto. It included a chilling message. We had fun with this one. <gasps> wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The map of Lake Don Pedro, just east of Modesto, arrived at the FBI's office in this letter. And it was opened by Special Agent Anthony Alston. It showed a trail from Highway 120 to an X scrawled along the lake's shore and led investigators the following day to Julie's son's nude body. Investigators brought a cadaver dog in the area and quickly found Julie. Her body had been hidden beneath the brush, her hair splayed out behind her, and her ankles covered with black duct tape, suggesting that they had been bound, which makes sense because he said, like, he that to the them to the beds her throat had been slashed when the facts of the condition of julie's body came out to the public media there was a shockwave of fear because everybody thought that they had the person in custody but you know they're still like worried however carrie was not done yet the fbi was still convinced that they had the right person in custody and just needed to gather more evidence Although they really thought those criminals were responsible, but that was not the case at all. Two months go by and no one came to arrest Carrie and he was not even thought of to be the killer. However, he was a ticking time bomb to kill again. On July 21st, 1999, Carrie found his next target, Joy Armstrong. Joy Ruth Armstrong was born December 20th, 1972 in California. She was a park nature worker. She loved being out in nature, which reflected in her face. She had a big smile. Her mother said Joy was so happy to have this position, was so happy to live in the most beautiful places in the world. She was a bright light to all who knew her, full of laughter, creativity, and punk. And spunk. I was to say spunk. <laughs> but I said punk. <laughs> I meant spunk. I'm so sorry. 
She had a huge enthusiasm for life and a deep drive to give herself for the betterment of the world. She was an environmental science educator for Yosemite Institute. Sucks because all these people were so great. I know. It's so sad. <sighs> um, on July 21st, 1999, Carrie was watching Joy unload her car outside of the cabin in the forest where she and fellow park workers stayed, which is a 13-minute drive from the lodge. Harry went to this location often because he said he had seen Bigfoot there. I can't. Can't. <laughs> He's crazy. Yeah. Definitely. I see Bigfoot here all the time. He's my buddy. We hang out. <laughs> you know Bigfoot was looking for him too. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> This is so frustrating. This is so frustrating. I didn't realize how bad of a person Carrie was until I started. Like, yeah. Um, what was I? I said, which is he realized. Okay. And once he realized she was alone, something in him ignited. Joy was packing her car to go hiking with her friends in Yosemite Valley. Carrie went up to Joy with his gun, forced her inside the house, put duct tape around her mouth and hands and got her into the car. And this is a quote from him. He said, it seemed like she was alone. I had a backpack, small green backpack. In the backpack, I had a twenty-two revolver. Stainer is heard saying in the audio recording of his confession. She stepped up on the porch and she was talking to me and she turned. That's when I pulled out the gun and put it to her head. She turned around and freaked out. I hear sirens. Yeah, me too. What's going on? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> However, even though she, he got her into the car... She was able to escape from the car. She tried running, but the duct tape made it impossible for her to outrun him. So Carrie parked his car, got out and tackled her, which this infuriated, infuriated him. Lose his temper. And then this next part is just... Carrie cut her throat so violently that he decapitates her. Oh my god. Yeah. It just, like, sucks me too. Like, it's just... To be in her situation, imagine how scary that yeah. would have been. I really hear sirens. Me too. I don't know what's going on. Look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Start research. So to cover. I hope God, not. I hope not. Um, and then this part is also. Later, he told the FBI that there was so much blood on her head that he couldn't even see her face. Joy's friends called police when she didn't show up to meet them, as planned. When Armstrong's friends went to her cabin, which was in the area of the park called Foresta, they uh, found signs of struggle. They began searching the area. Eventually, investigators found Joy's body near a stream in the woods about a half mile away from the cabin. In the water, several feet away, they discovered her head, which officials said had been removed from her body. When they found Joy's body, it showed the FBI that the people they had in custody were in fact innocent and the killer was still out there, which this reignited the case and took it to a whole new level. A 1979 international scout was seen parked near the scene of the crime. Two park rangers found Carrie Stanner sunbathing naked, which he would do often in this spot. <laughs> they talked to him, <laughs> took his backpack, and let him go. What? Yeah. Wow. FBI talked to him again at the lodge where they asked him questions, took pictures of his tires to match the tracks, but ultimately they let him free again. Oh my god. What is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Like, if you just caught him in the first place. Seriously. 
The next day, they matched his tire tracks and went back to the lodge to arrest him. However, at this point, Carrie was gone, so they put an APB on him. Carrie returned to the lodge and tried to quickly sell his belongings before he packed up and left. Later arriving at the nudist colony in Laguana <laughs> del Sol, he, where he began living in a tent. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> now he just needs Bigfoot there with him. And <laughs> imagine Bigfoot just walks up and is like, hey, buddy. <laughs> like, I, yeah, we go nude sunbathing together, me and my buddy Bigfoot. No, like, he's saying that. That gives me an idea. Like, what if he knew, like, sun, sunbathed nude because he thought that it would bring Bigfoot. <laughs> <laughs> Bigfoot bait. <laughs> He's like, I'm just like him now. <laughs> oh my. Okay. Through the through the media, authorities alerted the police to be on the lookout for Stainer. At the bar in the colony. Okay, this this next part is kind of funny. Um at the bar in the colony, uh Carrie struck up a conversation with someone who had seen the bolo. For Stainer, she called the FBI to alert them of his location. Then Jeff Rennick and John Bowles, the FBI agents, respond to the call at Laguana del Sol. The manager comes out and said, yeah, he's sitting inside in a corner booth. You'll be able to find him because he's the only one wearing clothes. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Uh, the FBI agents decided to bring Stainer in for questioning. They said he was cooperative and agreed to talk with them. Stainer surprised him by saying he would give them closure on what they hap- what happened to Joe, Joy Armstrong and more, but in exchange, he asked to see child pornography. Oh my god. And then this is a quote. Who would go into the FBI office and ask two FBI agents to see child pornography? That is not your everyday request. And he said, not just a couple, three to four images, said Bowles. It is believed that he knew he was going to be caught and that he was happy to get caught. However, this next part is crazy. <laughs> when Carrie was arrested, a reporter, Ted Rollins, got, an, uh, got a call that um, someone was in custody for the murders. So Ted went to the jail and asked to speak with Carrie. However, he did not want to. So Ted kept asking and asking and asking and Carrie kept saying no. But his persistence finally paid off because after asking so many times, Carrie finally agreed to speak with him. They talked at the glass on the phone face-to-face. Carrie coldly admitted to the four murders. He was rigid and clinical and had no emotion while talking and was detached. This is insane. The first thing Carrie said to Ted was, I want you to contact Hollywood producers and I would like to make a movie the week made about my story. Wow. Just like Steven Stainer had whenever he came back after he was abducted because he had a story, like a movie of the week made about him and a book but Carrie wanted the same thing as his brother, even though he does not deserve it. <laughs> exactly. He also confessed to Ted before confessing to the police. Yeah. Nice. He admitted to the murders, but left out key information about them. He even lied about some of it. He told them he didn't physically assault or torture any of his victims. Ted asked Carrie if he wanted to say any words to the f- victims' families. And Carrie said that he would like to tell them that he's sorry that their loved ones were where they were when they were. Wow. Just shows you what kind of person he is. Yeah, like, it's, it's insane. He essentially was trying to make himself look like a hero because he resisted these urges for 30 years. He had them since age seven. He said he couldn't resist the urge to kill anymore. 
And then he, I guess there also was suspected victims. Yeah. Um, after he got arrested, um, there was 28-year-old Pat- Patricia Marie Patty Hicks Dahlstrom last contact- contacted her family in September 1982 after re- relocating to Merced, California. There was um, his uncle that he was suspected of killing. Um, in October 1994, severed human hands were found near the New Maloney's Reservoir. So they suspected him of that too, but he never was yeah. convicted of this. And then there was a 20-year-old Michael Larry Mike Madden planned to meet his friends, but he didn't show up. So they also suspected him of that too. But at the trial, a thumbprint lifted from the stamp to use to mail the map match that of Stainer, a one-time handyman. FBI expert Jacob Holmes testified at the trial. The map and letter was opened by Special Agent Anthony Alston. He also t- testified that he gloves while handling it. Which, wouldn't you want to wear gloves while you're doing that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, it, was, it was crazy. It was a considerable wound, Hopkins told the court about Julie's murder. Um, Carrie was tried in federal court for Armstrong's murder since it occurred on federal land because it occurred at Yosemite National Park. To avoid a possible death sentence, he pleaded guilty to premeditated first-degree murder, felony first-degree murder, kidnapping resulting in death, and attempted aggravated sexual abuse results in the death. During the sentencing hearing, Stainer stunned the courtroom when he suddenly broke down in tears and apologized. I wish I could take it back, but I can't, he said. I wish I could tell you why I did such a thing, but I don't even know myself. I'm so sorry. I wish there was a reason, but there isn't. It's senseless. Yeah. Okay, cry about now that you got caught. Yeah, (laughs) seriously. Nobody's feeling bad for you. No. (laughs) Because what is wrong with you? You didn't even feel bad until this point, so. Yeah, you're like, oh, I don't, I don't, like, ugh. What is wrong with you? (laughs) What is wrong with you? Leslie Armstrong, Armstrong's mother, started started crying as she listened to Stainer and said afterward that she believed his apology was genuine. No. I'm sorry, but it wasn't. It was not. Definitely not. Stainer was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Stainer pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity to the other murders in state court. His lawyers claimed that Stainer's family had such a history of sexual abuse and mental illness manifesting itself not only in the murders, but also his obsessive compulsive disorder and his request to be provided with child pornography in return for the conf- his confession. Dr. Jose Arturo Silva, Silva testified that Stainer had abs- uh, OCD, mild autism, and paraphilia. I'm sorry, but that's not. That's not. No. Not an excuse. That's not an excuse. Yeah. Carrie was convicted of four counts of first-degree murder and additional felonies and was sentenced to death in 2001. He is still awaiting the death penalty, and there are appeals pending. However, while I was researching, I found this next part out, and it's crazy. Oh, God. Just when you think it can't get crazier, it gets crazier. It's one of those. Yeah. (laughs) California Governor Gavin Newstrom... Recently announced that the state's most infamous death row will be shuttered, transforming San Quentin State Prison into a restorative justice facility over the next few years. $20 million million plan will change the prison's name to San Quentin Rehabilitation Center, 
And Newstrom said by 2025, a panel of civilian experts, former inmates, and crime victims will help advertise the facility's changes. We want to be the preeminent restorative justice facility in the world. That's the goal. As part of the shift, more than 500 inmates who currently live on uh, San Quentin's death row will be moved to various prisons throughout the state. Newstrom Newsom imposed a definite, I don't know what that word is, on the death penalty in 2019. Prisoners sentenced to death are not eligible for parole. It is not clear yet when the timeline is for their moves, but some of California's most notorious killers will locally, will likely be re- relocated over the next few years, and that includes Carrie Stone. So he's going to be moved and Quentin to a rehabilita- rehabilitation center that they're transforming this, this prison into. Why? Like, he's on death row. Just let him die. Like, Literally. He killed four people. <sighs> I don't like this guy. No, me either. Makes me so angry. And then, this is insane. The weekend before the February 1999 murders outside Yosemite, his murderous fantasies had become so intense that he prepared a murder rape kit containing a rope, a roll of duct tape, a serrated kitchen knife, and a later a gun and a camera. He made a kit. Wow. Yeah. Of course the, he did. Of yeah, course he did. Yeah. Now put the cherry on top. It's even more. Oh, God. In the tapes of his confession, Stanner describes how he planned to rape and kill his girlfriend and her two young daughters a year before the Cedar Lodge murders of the sons and Peloso. He chickened out, he told authorities, because a male caretaker was on the girlfriend's 10-acre property. Then I saw a video, um, I'm not going to say the, one of the, the children, she was just 10 or 11 years old when her mother began a relationship with Carrie Stainer. Her mother was a waitress at the California Lodge in 1998 and Stainer lived in the apartment above the restaurant. She said that at the time, Carrie Stainer in his 30s and handsome appeared safe to her and her mother and younger sister. He brought the girls illustrations he'd drawn himself and bought them a new Beanie Baby, a popular to- toy in the 90s. Each time he seen them, she said. She also asked, who was asked that an ABC News withhold her last name, said he also taught the two how to dive. He would show us how to point your toes and put your arms out, like, forward and dive perfectly into the pool. Um, my sister and I both wanted to be best at it. It feels like it was so long ago that you forget what happens and feels like it was almost a dream or a movie that you watched. Though the dream ended for her in 1999 when she learned from the authorities that Carrie Stanner was not only responsible for the brutal killings of four women in in and near Yosemite that terrified residents and tourists, but that he also tried three separate times to kill her and her family. It's very disturbing. I see two little girls, very innocent, very pure, and very much so loving towards this man that wanted to do some horrible things to us, she said. He was right under everybody's nose the entire time he was right there. Yeah, and then for a while, according to the tape, he stalked four young girls staying at the Cedar Lodge, but backed off again because they were accompanied by an adult male. Yeah. I have no words. (laughs) Yeah, it's... it's. But we're going to end on a more positive note, I guess. (laughs) Because we're going to talk about the victims' families and how they move forward. Yen's son has been on talk shows. He had pictures. His picture appeared in newspapers throughout the country. Learned how to handle things. 
and handle the media, dealt with law enforcement, and accepted the condolences of strangers. He said, I was told by people change once they are in the spotlight and it could be addicting. I didn't want that. I didn't do anything great. Through it all, the son has tried to lead a normal life, normal that is for a man who lost his wife and his child. I went through the motions of trying to do what I, the best I could, he said the last, he said, like after everything happened. It was the first time he had spoken to the press at this time. Um, son had quickly returned to the work after the, the tragedy and now believes that he shouldn't have. He remarried and is raising, and he raised three children he and Carol adopted. Built a new house for his family and shuttles between his daughter's basketball games across Northern California and courtroom in San Jose where the alleged killer was on trial. That's, this was all at the time. Cause this was like right after I couldn't find anything from now. Yeah. But this was like 2002. Mm-hmm. So um, he also kept in touch with Francis and Carol Carrington, Carol's parents. Carol and Jens were married for 21 years and Jens began hanging around the Carrington's home when he was 17. I was told things would change when I remarried. He said, I still see the Carringtons and their relationship hasn't changed much. Son said that he had done a good job moving forward, but there are challenges. Four months after the death of his wife and daughter, the two oldest children were scheduled to take a school trip with Washington, D.C. His first reaction was, no, you can't go. But he soon realized he couldn't stop life from going on. It was hard to put them on the bus to the airport Sunday. I told the chaperone maybe too strongly to keep an eye on them. He said his children still face with difficulties. It's not something they get through, but they are still they are coping well. But I don't know like how they're doing now, but this was in 2002. But it seemed like they were doing okay. So that's all you can really ask for. Pepe Peloso, Silvina Peloso's father, and this is heartbreaking, says his only remaining daughter has kept him from killing Carrie Steiner, the handyman on trial in the murder of Peloso and her friend Carol and Julie's son. I could do justice on my own. I know I could do it, Jose Peloso said last, like, the week outside of Santa Clara County Hall of Justice whenever the trial was happening. Throughout the trial, I thought I've had more than 10 opportunities to kill him. My other daughter, uh, he said, that's the only thing that keeps me from it. I would have killed him. That's the only thing I, I would just tear him up. And then in honor of Joy's Armstrong's murder, they um, formed the Armstrong Scholars Program, the program is each year 13 girls aged 15 to 18 are selected to participate in the empowering summer backpack adventure in high sierra of yosemite national park the program inspires young women to reach their highest potential develop a stronger sense of self and community and explore their personal connections oh. i mean at least there was something good yeah. came out of it kind of i mean it's a scholarship program, but you have to keep their memory. That's, that's had to happen. For... Yeah, because they all were just amazing people. Yeah. It's just, it sucks, and I, I hate Carrie Stanner. Me too. Who are you? I hate him. <laughs> <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give him the finger. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that it just kept getting crazier and crazier because... They could have caught him in the beginning, and then like it would have been stopped at that. I point. know. But they're they like, could've... no, no, we have the right person. We have <laughs> the right person. It was just a one-time thing. He's just going through a phase. What is wrong with you? No, he wasn't. No, <laughs> it's not just a phase. That was not just a phase. And like the fact that he was trying so hard to make what I think is he was trying to make something of himself, quote unquote, 
so that he would be on the same level as his brother yeah. Steven. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but murder's not. And the then same. he wanted a movie like his brother. He's like, make me a movie for killing these people. Yeah. No. No, you don't deserve it. You don't like, deserve after, it. After I researched this, I was like, oh, I shouldn't even cover this because, like, just giving him attention. But I know. that's why I try to focus it on the, mm-hmm. the victims because it's their story, yeah. not his. Yeah, exactly. Because he's a POS. Exactly, he is. I hate him. <laughs> yeah. Um, I hate a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Like, there was obviously something wrong with him his whole entire yeah. life, and he just never got help, which is sad. Like, feel bad for the kid, but don't feel bad for the guy who murdered four, four women. Exactly. Especially, I didn't say this, Julie was 15 at the time, and Sylvina was 16 at the time. Mm. So, they were still very young. Yeah. It does. Not like it was good before, but definitely But it makes, makes it, worse it worse because, like, yeah. and, like, the fact that people, like, trusted him with their kids yeah exactly and then whenever he got arrested he was like oh i want child pornography he would act all nice and stuff like yeah like, like he, he would put like on a yeah. front and you're just like what is wrong with you and like they would say yes they'd be like oh sure we'll give you some child pornography yeah like it. you're gonna ask the fbi that <laughs> like, what is wrong with you <laughs> i hate him so much Same. and like him saying like oh i'm sorry that your loved ones were where they were when they were like you don't have any remorse no. At least he has Bigfoot as a friend. Probably the yeah. only one he's ever yeah, going to have. I wonder <laughs> if now if he's like, oh man, I wish I could have caught Bigfoot instead. <laughs> like, maybe you should just focus on Bigfoot and not kill people. Yeah, seriously. Maybe you should have been worrying about finding Bigfoot. You're on the death row. Exactly. And you're never going to find Bigfoot. Exactly. Even Except if he for is mine because you're crazy. <laughs> Might see some visions of him while he's in jail. Maybe. I don't, <laughs> I don't know. This, this story... Or not story, but this case yeah. infuriated me because I was just like, what is wrong with you? Like the whole time. And like while I was researching, <laughs> I was just like, oh, my God. I kept saying, oh, my God. And I was just like, I was like, oh, terrible person. I think next week I'm going to cover one. that. Oh, I'm trying to like. I think I know. Do you? The Valentine's Day Massacre. I don't know. Maybe we'll have to see. <laughs> oh, yeah, we should talk about that. Are we recording on Friday or are we going to go to. Would Friday okay. be okay? Yeah, we could do Friday. Okay. Because I was going to upload this tonight. So this technically counts for last week. Yeah. For, yeah, we could do that. For yesterday because today's Sunday. Um, I just wasn't sure. I want to do Friday. Yeah, we can watch. Yeah, we can watch, <laughs> we can watch the movie. Um, there was some media ab- adaptations about this, but I was not going to cover them. Yeah. Because he doesn't deserve it. Exactly. And he's 62 now, so. He still hasn't found Bigfoot. No. Good. He won't. Exactly. Because, yeah, he doesn't deserve to. He never going to get to. He never going to get the privilege to meet Bigfoot. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's a crappy person. Exactly. And I'm sorry. K- Carrie, actually, sorry, not sorry, but Stephen was better. <laughs> exactly. Stephen Stanner was a hero and you're just a serial killer. <laughs> And we don't care about you. We know. We only care about your victims. Exactly. Because they were good brother. people, not you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so I guess uh, this is where we end. So everybody, uh, spread positivity. Check on your friends. Be nice. You know. Be kind. 
You can find Bigfoot, just don't be crazy about it. Yeah, go go <laughs> look for Bigfoot, but don't kill people because yeah. of it. And um, don't get too close in case. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't know what yeah, he's capable exactly. of. Exactly, might snag um, you up or something. We yeah. don't want that. <laughs> maybe he's the nicest guy ever. You exactly. Never know. But just be careful. <laughs> yeah, just be careful. And don't be like Harry Stainer. Yeah. Be more like Carol, Julie, Sylvina, and Joy. Yes. Because they were amazing people, and I am so sorry for, to their families, and they deserved so much more than what they got. But be more like them because they were amazing people. Yes, exactly. And that's where we're going to end. See you next week. See you next week. We Bye. love you. We love you. Bye. Bye.